The Water Values Podcast, Session 31. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGinsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. Thanks for joining me. We've got a great guest, as always, for you today. But before we get into the interview, just wanted to remind you to listen all the way to the end of the podcast for the all-important disclaimer, lest you rely on the information in this podcast to your material disadvantage. Well, on today's podcast, Chris Peacock joins us to talk about innovation in the water space. Chris is quite the water innovator, having worked to develop a market for water rights in northern Arizona and established the Water Innovation Project in 2013, which has already spawned two projects, H2.0 or H2.0, and a book, each of which Chris will explain in the interview. So keep listening for a great and informative conversation with Chris. With that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Chris, thanks very much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Greatly appreciate your time. Uh, to start off, why don't you just tell us a little bit about uh, your background and how you got interested in water? Yeah, thanks, David. It's, it's great to be here. I appreciate you having me on your show. So I got into water quite by accident. Um, I had a, a family business with my parents. We did some land development. And when we went to sell the, sell the business a number of years ago, we had some property that had water rights associated with it. And I had carved off five acres for myself. I built my first house on it. And as we started kind of moving forward, I realized that I had no need for these water rights, not being a farmer in the agricultural industry. So over the next three years, I went out and I acquired even more of the water rights. I learned what to do with them. Um, I was packaging them up. I was working with investors. I was working with other developers. And so that was really my entrance into the water realm was buying and selling water rights and, and building a water market in northern Arizona. Tell me a little bit about that. How, how, what is the market like in Arizona and how did you how did you go about developing that? Yeah, so there really wasn't a market. When I, started. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I basically started from scratch. So I was looking at, you know, across the country, who else had water rights? There were there were some markets up in kind of the northwest area, a little bit back east. But I really took a lot of lessons learned from areas like Australia um, and then started looking at some of the water economists in the area, learning what water rights really were and what they meant. And so I basically spent three years doing a lot of research, um, learning about those water rights and, and building the market. So we started with basically no market um, with a number of individuals who didn't even know they had water rights associated with their properties to becoming kind of the expert up in northern Arizona. As that process went along, as you kind of developed the market, um, wh- who were the participants? How did how did you actually create it? I mean, who was who's yeah, coming so, in? Yeah, so I started working with some of the local municipalities. Um, so, so some of the small towns up there, we, we were in that high growth development stage, right? right? So I was working with municipalities. I had developers starting to come to me because they had learned that I had acquired these water rights. And it just kind of grew from there. I got involved in a public-private partnership to design, build, operate, finance a local wastewater treatment plant. Um, and so basically, it's, it's all the stakeholders that you would anticipate being in a water market, everything from uh, local government to developers to landowners and, and ranchers and then the environmental groups as well. Okay, so uh, what's the status of all that right now? 
So there's a number of water rights that are still up in northern Arizona. Um, obviously, the, the market took a big hit a few years ago, as everybody is acutely aware of. <laughs> <laughs> so so there have been some pretty big transactions up there. Prescott Valley sold some huge effluent water rights. Um, so there's there's still a lot of water floating around up there right-wise, but it's it's a closed aquifer system, which makes for a really unique experience because you're not pulling from outside water resources like AP, like you would see in other parts of the state. Okay. Uh, and so what are you doing now? So now I'm, <laughs> I guess I'm, I laugh only because I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> and so I'm talking to it at times, right? So um, I work with a company called Fathom, which is a software as a service cloud-based company based out of Phoenix. We provide software solutions to the water industry, but I also have my own company, the Water Innovation Project which is an idea lab consultancy and leadership hub, basically trying to transform the way we value water as a society. And then I've got a group called H2.0, which is an online collaboration platform for water utilities and software companies to interact um, around basically the smart water grid. And then I've also got this book that's that's coming out. So a bulk of my time when I'm not working a, a real full-time job is... <laughs> putting together these these amazing 25 authors and publishing a book. Okay, cool. Well, uh, let's take those in order. You mentioned the Water Innovation Project first. Tell me a little bit how you how you came up with the idea for the Water Innovation Project and, and more importantly, probably what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in the water sector for about 15 years. When I left the, the water rights business up in northern Arizona, I went to work for a number of engineering consulting firms in the water sector. And I spent about 10 years running the back office operations. So everything from marketing to human resources, strategic planning, risk management. And what I started seeing last year, early last year, was a transition that's starting to occur in the water sector. And we're hearing a lot about the value of water, how the value of water needs to change. And I wanted to have a larger impact on the industry as a whole more directly as opposed to being in the back office. So I launched the Water Innovation Project last summer. Um, and basically, I, I was focused on technology companies that I could work with, help them navigate this fragmented water market, um, doing a lot with executive coaching and developing emerging leaders, and then working with some really great collaborators to do some really cool, innovative projects in the space, which is really vague sounding. <laughs> um, <but> that's what, <laughs> and it's intentionally it's intentionally made that way right it's, it's what i call my innovation lab right um, i get to do fun stuff and experiment and see if it sticks to the wall so two of those projects have come to bear h2.0 was one of them and then the book is is the other so it's been a year that you've uh since you've launched the water innovation project a little just a hair over and you've already got two things kind of coming to market so to speak uh that sounds that sounds great um do you have anything else to say in terms of what how the water innovation project has progressed? Is it how's it being received out there? Uh, is it is it about where you thought it was going to be? It's changed drastically from <laughs> where I originally thought it was. You know, being being an entrepreneur in the water sector is is challenging. It's hard enough to be an entrepreneur, um, but doing it in the water sector has its own has its own challenges. So. In many ways, I've made many more relationships and I've interacted with some associations and groups that I never would have um, had the opportunity to interact with before. So in that sense, it's it's been I, I've gotten a lot further than I thought I would um, originally. Some other pieces kind of trailed off. So some of the consulting work that I was doing, I had to put aside when I went to go work for Fathom, 
Um, and Fathom is one of actually my founding sponsors for H2.0. Um, so some of the work I've put aside, most of it now is really focused on the innovation lab piece of the water innovation project, along with the leadership development components. So the executive coaching, I've met some great people through that. Um, and then pulling the projects together is just, it's fun. It's, it's really fun to work with these passionate people that are in the water sector. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the projects. Uh, you mentioned, you say you got the two spinoffs and th those are actually the, the second two prongs. Uh, that you'd identified earlier. So talk to me a little about H2.0. Yep. So H2.0, H2.0, depending on who you talk to, uh, <laughs> they all have their preference on what that period looks like. Um, it's, it's really focused on how utilities can leverage their data. Um, there's a lot of data in the water sector. Most utilities don't know how to use it. Um, most utilities don't have the capabilities to really work with that data and understand what it means. And there's some really great technologies that are starting to come out that are really allowing us to gain better insights into how a utility operates. But what I was seeing was a big disparity between the software providers, um, the vendors, the consultancies, and the utilities themselves. So what I wanted to do was put together a venue that allowed all of those parties to really interact and work together so that we can bring the right solutions to the marketplace um, and really just, just create a collaborative opportunity to really share information and best, best practices around information technology in the water utility sector. Okay, what kind of uh, data are we talking about here? Is this, is this um, kind of smart meters or is this other data that you're talking about? So it's all of the above. So we run the gamut. Um, when you talk about smart water, everyone has their own definition. Um, but I look at it everything from the meter up to the house, um, the consumption data, the way you interact and engage with the customers, um, the way that you're doing your billing, pump and pressure optimization within the systems. Um, and there's a whole other slew of areas. So for, for me in H2.0, it's really any, any data that's acquired as part of the utility operations. Okay. Um, and then if you take it a step further, you start aggregating that data at a watershed level. Um, or, or within a city or within a state, you can start getting a better and more holistic view on how the watershed or the water resources in an area are really doing. How do you look at the adoption of GIS? And is that, does that fit into the, the paradigm you just described here? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think GIS is a central component to a lot of what, what's happening in the, the smart water world. Um, GIS has always been pretty important um, in the water sector in order to, to understand where your pipes are at, <laughs> where the pumps are at, and doing work order management and making sure that, you know, the meter readers are going to the right houses <laughs> yeah. and mapping all of that out. So GIS is a huge component of, of the smart water world, absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, I've, I was around some utilities right when they were first starting to adopt GIS. And uh, in terms of the pipes that were put in the ground before GIS systems were available, uh, I recall them talking about technologies where uh, they could kind of ex post facto go back and identify where their pipes were. Uh, have you seen any of that? Have you seen any of that? And, and you know, how's that kind of data being developed by utilities? Yeah, I think that happens a lot in utilities. Even the 10 years I was working for the consulting engineering firms, you go, you design a pipe, you put it in the ground. Hopefully you get the right as-built drawings that come back in terms of where the pipes are actually located. Yeah. 
Um, so I, I think it's common, especially in well-established areas in terms of being able to go out and really map um, where that infrastructure is at. I, I think as an industry, we've done a much better job over the past decade, right, getting that information. But I know there's still a lot of pumps and, and pipes that are out there that most utilities, they just don't know where they're at until they break, which is unfortunate. Oh, yeah. Uh, you indicated that uh, you were bringing solutions to market through the use of all this data. What, what do those solutions look like? And if I'm a utility, how do I need... How do I know that I need one of these solutions? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. And so when I look at information technology and data in the water sector, um, I start looking at the returns on investment that utilities can get out of that type of technology, whether it's AMI or customer engagement or SCADA systems. Um, I think the ROI is a lot is a lot quicker and a lot higher when you're leveraging data as opposed to let's say building a new supplier, building a new um, treatment technology or installing a whole new set of pipes, right? Um, I think it's a lot easier to calculate that ROI. And so the groups that I'm working with are individuals that have systems like um, leveraging the AMI in order to help the end user conserve water, right? It's a huge, it's, it's a huge talking point right now, especially here in California where yeah. I'm at. And so being able to show end users how they're using their water and when they're using their water is huge for helping them change their behaviors on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, when you start rolling into AMI programs and you start collecting data at a much more granular basis, like once an hour rather than once a month, um, you're able to get in front of any leaks that may be occurring between the plant and the house. You can start seeing in real time where the water is going um, and hopefully catch it before it becomes too much of an issue. Um, and then you start getting into actually sending out bills properly, um, collecting your revenue on a regular basis. Yeah. <laughs> so all of these yeah. things really add up. And I think together that that's what creates that smart water utility um, and really brings those economies of scale to the market, um, especially with some of the newer technologies that are able to leverage massive storage and cloud-based and offering software as a service as opposed to investing millions of dollars in, in one system up front. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, what what are some of the examples of the things that you think utilities are uh, really latching onto in this space? So uh, the biggest one here in California, especially, is the leak detection and the water, you know, the water use. So AMI is is becoming pretty pretty important, um, especially in light of of all of our drought. There's some other really great technologies that, that are probably more useful back east, right? So the leak technology and the pressurization of the systems, especially in the older systems, to start identifying where the leaks are occurring, um, which really helps utilities manage the infrastructure better and identify, you know, where are the leaks likely to occur and replacing those sections of pipe as opposed to every piece of pipe that's out there. And, and we all know that that's, that's just an unsightly number, and I don't even oh, think anybody yeah. really knows what that true number looks like. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Now, when when utilities start moving down the road of uh, using all this this data, when you identified leak leak detection, are you saying uh, they're they're able to find the leaks in their own on their side of the meter or on the the customer side of the meter, or, or are they looking at both of those? So I think that there's technologies for both. Um, so using Fathom is the example, and I, I guess I have to do that since I work there. Right, I <laughs> see it every day. Um, you know, we, we've got projects out there where customers are able to get an alert 
when we start seeing a constant flow um, into their house. And most households aren't running water 24 hours a day. So you start running this type of technology and you're able to let the consumer know within a few hours that they have a possible leak rather than 45 days afterwards, which is when they would typically see it when they get that first water bill for, you know, a few thousand dollars rather than their normal couple hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And what about what about uh, large water users or your large end user water customers? Uh, have they been adopting some of these um big data type solutions to man to better manage the water use in their plants? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think there's a number of, of cases around that. Um, one of the utilities that I'm working at now, they have a, a pretty large um, water user. And so they're leveraging big data right now to understand where their water is going. They can see when they've got irrigation pipes that are leaking actually, and being able to go out and fix those. So it's, we're definitely seeing it more and more. And then I think on the industrial side, as well, you're, you're hearing a lot and starting to see some new technologies come out to, to help them bad, better manage their resources and, and even internally um, making sure that they're managing their water appropriately. Have you seen anything in the ultra-pure water side of the market? And are those uh, ultra-pure water companies uh, using big data? Yeah, so I haven't worked with any of them directly. I know it's definitely a topic of conversation. Um, there's, there's obviously the technology pieces out there to treat and purify the water, um, and I think everything nowadays it's that's being developed has a data component to it. So there, there's certainly, I think, a use for the data. Um, like I said, I haven't I haven't interacted with with any of them individually, okay. but actually one of the authors that's in the upcoming book has has an entire chapter dedicated to the industrial watershed and how the the commercial side like that can probably better leverage data as well. Perfect segue. I was going to ask you about uh, your book uh, coming up here. Um, so tell me about it. Tell me what's it called and where did how did this idea come out of the Water Innovation Project? Yeah, so the book is entitled Damned If We Don't, Ideas for Accelerating Change Around Water. And it was it was kind of a spitball project, to be quite honest <laughs> with you, David. I I sent out one of my one of my monthly newsletters or quarterly newsletters and kind of last minute at the very end on the bottom, I put a little box saying, hey, I've got a call for authors for this book. And at the time, the book was entitled Water 2.0. Um, it was going to be focused primarily on smart water. And what I realized was people probably didn't want to read an entire book on the technology of smart water at this point. And I had a number of individuals that reached out to me that I, I had known personally said, hey, I'd really be interested in contributing to your book, but it's not going to be technology-based. It's going to be on another topic. And over the period of a couple months, I ended up with 25-plus authors who were all really interested in contributing to a book. And so it just kind of evolved. And then I realized one day that, oh, this is something I'm actually going to be doing. And I became a publisher now um, <laughs> by virtue of putting this book together. Which is, which I think is another story, but important for the water sector. Um, you know, I, I decided to to really build my own publication company around this because, especially as the title suggests, we're looking at ways to accelerate the way we change how we manage water. And everybody knows that the water sector has historically been slow to adopt new technologies, and for for good reason in some cases. Um, but what I didn't want to do was have you know, an 18 month period where the book just went quiet, where it went through a publication round and did everything that you would traditionally do in the publication world. So we accelerated that. I think from start to finish, we're looking at about just under nine months. 
of getting all the chapters in, editing them, and then getting them out um, for sale. So right now it's it's on pre-order on Amazon, and we're officially selling the book um, at the end of October. It'll be available for, for purchase. So how's the book organized? So it's... I, I was challenged a little bit with how I was going to organize this book when it first came out, because as you can expect, 25 different authors, 25 different concepts and ideas. But what I found was this really nice flow that started occurring. And so the beginning of the book is really about extreme weather conditions and what that's doing to not just our, our physical infrastructure, but to the economy and the impacts that it's having and then we roll into some really great essays around leadership and, and developing people in the water sector and how we communicate about water to the general public. I think everyone can agree that our communication um, as an industry to the public is, is has been pretty pretty tough, right? We, we haven't been doing a good job. And right. so there's some really great organizations that are starting to come out and really address that issue. Um, then we get into, you know, what – what types of technologies are available within the water sector. And we start talking about innovation hubs and clusters and how that's impacting and changing the way that we can get street to market, right? How do we get some of these new technologies into the hands of the utilities and into the hands of the end users? Um, and then from there, we flow into some, some entrepreneurs who are actually doing stuff in the water sector, um, whether it's um, AMI types of work, or different treatment technologies. There's some really, really cool entrepreneurs that are out there. And I think a lot of people would be surprised at um, how large the entrepreneurial base is in the water sector right now. It's starting to grow, um, especially as it relates to big data, right? We're seeing new entrants come into the sector and bringing some really great ideas from other areas. And then we end the book with a really great chapter around gamification and engaging the end user in the management of watersheds. So it's it's got a nice arc to it. Um, it's disjointed at times because we've got 25 different authors. Um, but really at the end of the day, the, the purpose of the book is to help people understand that there are some really great ideas out there around managing water that in order to better manage and accelerate the change around water, we need to collaborate and innovate. And it really takes a broader group of individuals to do it. And I think what all of these authors show, yourself included, is that change change can really only occur if you're willing to take action. And so every one of the authors that are in this book have taken action. Um, and maybe that's a surprising point of the book. It's not just about really great ideas and it's not just about talking about new ideas, it's about doing something. And so my hope and, and the author's hopes is really that when someone reads this book, they find some inspiration to go do something about it, not just talk about it or read about it, um, but go find a tribe, go do something and, and make a difference in the world of water. I think those are great points. And, and you've pre-released some of the chapters. And I, I read Todd Danielson's piece on essentially promoting engagement. You know, if you're a utility, have your employees get on Twitter and on social media and spread the word about water and engage with your customers. I, I think engagement and doing the types of things that you, Chris, are doing to try and spread the word and and create engagement about water is really important. And I applaud you for taking the initiative to get that book done. Now, you said there are 25 different authors. What's the, what's the target audience? Yeah, so the target audience for this book is really individuals who work within the water sector. 
right? The, the focus is, is for them to, to understand what's going on, maybe in areas that they may not see on a day-to-day -day basis. One of the things we wanted to do with this book was start breaking down the silos that exist in the water sector. Um, within utilities, you see it every day, there's various departments and their interactions, you know, usually aren't um, synced up all that well. You start looking at the data within the utilities and there's all these silos. And I think even within the water sector itself, everybody gets so focused on what they do on a daily basis that they don't necessarily see the things that are happening around them. And really the only way that we can holistically manage water is to have the engagement of everybody um, coming together with ideas and solutions. So it's not that everybody in the water sector is gonna understand every little detail within the book, um, but really the goal is to help get the conversation going across the sector as a whole. But at the same time, all of the chapters are really approachable. Um, none of them are so highly technical that an everyday individual couldn't read it. And that was, that was an important piece as well. I think when I was working with all of the authors, I, I wanted to make it clear that this was somewhat of a personal essay as well and reflections on what they've been learning in the water sector so that you know someone like my mom could read most of the chapters and understand what the hell we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> because... Because water sometimes can become so complicated and you start getting into these highly technical discussions that it just turns people off. And the only way we can engage the general public is by talking to them as individuals and sharing with them the ideas in a manner that they can understand. Um, you know, and the book isn't dumbed down by in any way, shape, or form. It's just incredibly approachable. So the focus is for water utilities and water professionals and engineers and consultancies. But really, anyone who's interested in water could could probably learn a lot from this book. Terrific! And you've got a uh, you, you've pledged a donation for uh, a certain you know pre-orders. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, I have. So one of the big things with this book is I want to give back to the water community in general. And most of this book is focused more on the commercial side of it and the municipal side of it. But one of the things that I wanted to do, especially with the pre-release, was donate to Water for People, which is an international charity based in Denver, um, spawned from AWWA. It's a really great group of individuals. Ned Breslin is absolutely amazing as their executive director. Um, they do some great stuff across the world. So I wanted to find an opportunity to give back to them. So basically, half of the proceeds from the pre-order, I'm going to be donating to Water for People. So I've got another six weeks or so to accumulate what I can. Um, so we're pushing really hard on the pre-release side. And basically what that means to me is I don't really make any money off of the book. Most of that money is going to water for people. And I think that's great. I think it, it's great that all of the authors were able to contribute to this book. You know, we were able to do it in a short time frame. And, you know, I'm really excited about the fact that I can actually give back to someone like water for people um, to change not just what we're doing here in the U.S. or North America, but really have a meaningful impact in the rest of the world. Well, awesome. Uh, great job. That's that's the, the least I can say because you've, you've really uh, taken a great idea and and planted the seed and actually grown it. So terrific. Uh, Chris, where can folks go to find out more about you and all these different uh, things you've got your fingers in? Yeah, so the Water Innovation Project has its own website, and it's www.waterinnovationproject.com. And the book itself has its own website as well. So the book, Damned If We Don't, the website is www.wateranthology.com. 
And if you go to the website, you can um, see where to pre-order the book. You can register online, get access to a couple pre-release chapters that you were referring to earlier. Um, and soon we're going to have some uh, video interviews with some of our some of the other authors. And then you can also stay up to date when other books are being published. So it's it's a really nice website. There's some cool stuff on there. I, I recommend you go check it out. Yeah, and I'll second that. So, uh, Chris, thanks again for your time. You were awesome. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it, David. Thank you very much. You bet. Bye. That was my interview with Chris Peacock, who's doing a great job with water innovation. Now, here are a couple takeaways from the interview. First, water innovation is accelerating. Water utilities are making more and better use of data. And not all utilities, mind you, are doing this, but I see the rate of adoption increasing, and that's a good thing. Using data to make better decisions means a more efficient utility and a happier and hopefully better educated customer base. My next takeaway is the passion that Chris brings to the industry. He started the Water Innovation Project in 2013 and already has two spinoff projects, H2.0, and the book he's publishing. How many people can say they've accomplished that much? I really admire Chris's passion, and I see similar instances of passion throughout the water industry. It's one of the great things about water. The people in the industry are very dedicated and caring as a general rule. Well, you can check out the show notes for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 31. And please don't be bashful in letting me know what interested you about the interview by leaving a comment on the show notes or by emailing me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993. And don't forget to rate and please review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast directories. And please don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast and to sign up for the Water Values newsletter, which can be done at thewatervalues.com. And don't forget to contact me if you'll be at the National Association of Water Companies Water Summit next week or the Global Water Intelligence American Water, Water Summit at the end of October. would love to meet up with you at those conferences. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.